I woke up this morning with a song stuck in my head. John, I'm going to sing a little bit of the song, and I want you to tell me what song it is. I just thought that could be kind of fun. Why not be the, the source of joy in the raging dark tempest that we all find ourselves in? Okay. Hold my breath as I wish for death. Oh, please, God, wake me. That's Metallica. Oh, my God, John. There's so many listeners right now. We're going crazy right now. It's one, right? I can't remember anything. It is Metallica's masterpiece, one from their best album, And Justice for All. I remember staying up until midnight in high school to watch the world premiere of the one music video on MTV. It was groundbreaking historical. You see, these kids today, they don't know history. That was Metallica's first ever music video. Was it really? Yeah, they had never made a music video before. They were very indie. They had no radio play, no music videos, just four hardworking California upstarts trying to make a name for themselves in the heavy metal market. And then they finally released this video. You're not. This is gonna be, you're gonna find this hard to believe, but it was footage of a heavy metal band playing in an abandoned industrial space, <laughs> and they cut it together with the footage from Johnny Got His Gun, of course, the famous movie about the soldier who is completely paralyzed and cut off from everything, and just you know living inside his own mind. It was a great music video. Darkness, darkness imprisoning me. All that I see, absolute horror. I cannot live. I cannot die. Trapped in myself, body my holding cell. It really is a COVID song. Because it's basically about a guy who's just trapped in bed and can't get up and has no human interaction. (laughs) It should be the official song of our current coronavirus reality. The official heavy metal COVID song. That's what's missing from this moment is an official song to unify us. Well, Taylor Swift, she just put out a new album. It's a COVID album. One of the songs is called Trapped in the Horror of My Own Body, Isolated Alone. And then in parentheses, it says my COVID situation, close parentheses. But she's not trapped because she found inspiration during quarantine. I feel like she found freedom in this time. And it was all worth it. (laughs) A new direction for Taylor Swift. There was a bit of collateral damage, 145,000 deaths. On the other hand, folklore. Taylor Swift cooperating with the guys from the National and Bonnie Vare. You know, this is exciting. (laughs) We can't deny that every storm cloud has a silver lining. And if... Taylor Swift continues to establish her indie rock bona fides. You know, this could be a game changer. I mean... I wish Metallica would come out with a COVID album that they recorded in secret and dropped at midnight. Well, luckily, quarantine's just starting up all over again. That's true. Everyone who was like, this will be over soon. I don't need to record a a secret COVID album. Now they're looking ahead and they're seeing that like tech companies, like Google employees are not supposed to be back on campus until next July. And now they're going to shut down Major League Baseball, probably. So all these bands are going to be like, you know what? We probably do have time to record. (laughs) Maybe not a double album, but we could bang out an EP. Yeah, and they don't want to be upstaged by Taylor. Taylor dropped when Kanye didn't. So now there's a new bar that's played the long game. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Let's do our podcast. Welcome to Election Profit Makers, your guide to winning and losing money on the 2020 election. Um, my name's David, and I'm here with Starly. Hi, Starly. Hi. And John. Hey, everyone. Hi, John. And hello to everyone else. I must never forget that I'm also addressing thousands of listeners in addition to my two buddies. We did not do bets last week. We took a little bet vacation, and it felt terrific because it meant that I actually cut back on my obsessive predicted monitoring. John, can you say the same? 
How did you sleep last night? Uh, (laughs) No, I cannot say the same. I got three hours and 25 minutes, according to my tracker device on my wrist. I slept from 3 a.m. to about 6.30 because I was monitoring my precious markets. And tell us the latest news vis-a-vis your precious markets. There really isn't a lot of news, but the market that I'm obsessed with is this VP market. I've got all this money tied up in it and I'm think I have it set up. So I'm going to win on three or four options, but I'm not going to win very much money. I mean, talk about dropping a t- an album at midnight without anyone expecting. This is suddenly your market. Yeah. The VP market is suddenly John yeah. Kimball's. Why? Was there anyone else on this podcast who any, had any interest in the VP market, Starly? I, I thought there was. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I'm more interested in talking to someone who has more of like a rational approach to the market. Someone who's not just like <laughs> emotionally invested in the market. Someone who's operating on three hours of sleep a night yeah. because they're obsessively <laughs> checking exactly. their phone. Right. I, I see uh, how that's Really calm and collected. Yeah. Hold my breath as I wish for death. At this point, I do not have a rational approach to the market anymore. And I have no feeling about what's going to happen. I have lost it. So maybe I should ask Starly because it's true. Starly has a much longer connection to this. We used to call this VP market Starly's Garden. And Starly had been tending to this tender plot, watching these shoots spout up out of the earth. For a while, she was tending to a little Tammy Duckworth plant that we thought would achieve full flower. That is not getting a lot of water right now. I see a red arrow by Tammy Duckworth. That little plant is not going anywhere. I sold my Tammy. (gasps) My Tammy's gone. You're out completely? Yeah. It's just not going to be her. I'm sure of it. I saw my Tammy Duckworth shares the other day. They were holding me down and I didn't like it. So I sold them. I'm sticking with the candidates that I think have an actual chance. Okay, that's tough but fair. I'm not sure that is John's approach to gardening. No, it hasn't been. I've chased some things and uh, making some mistakes. But today, uh, Duckworth is down, so I've decided to buy some because that's really what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to buy when it's low. I don't think it's going to be Duckworth, but I'm going to average down a little bit on her. Because you assume that at some point there'll be another headline. And she'll pop at some point. That's the hope. So the big news is that he narrowed it down tiny bit. Right. It, it, he said he had narrowed it down that there were four black women yeah. that were on his list. So we don't know if those are the only people on his list. And we don't think it is because he other people in the campaign have said that Warren is still on the list and um, Duckworth is, is on the list. The four black women who are he's considering are Kamala Harris, Susan Rice, Karen Bass, and Val Demings. I did buy Karen Bass after that news. I, I went from not knowing anything about Karen Bass to watching one interview with her and now her being <laughs> pretty much my, the one that I'm, that I'm rooting for. Well, I think she might have a chance. I definitely like her. A story came out yesterday about Castro, that she had said something positive about Castro when he died. And so now people in Florida are nervous about her. But she hasn't dropped that much since then. She's very appealing. Who is she? I I have no interest in the VP market. I have no. I, who is who is Bass? What can we do to make you have interest? Literally nothing. You're not invested in this at all, David. He's not invested emotionally, bought, intellectually, or financially. No, I have shares in Michelle Obama not being the vice president. No, you're you're in on I Harris. I thought you didn't. How do you How know? Can you, John can you see? Are wait, you, did John do you have, have access to my what? predicted? <laughs> no, I don't. You've always been saying that she's going to be the one, so I just assumed. Every week on our text thread, David says. I'm going to buy in. I should I should get in that market. And then he never does because he doesn't care. I'm all talk. 
It's going to be Harris. It's going to be Kamala Harris. Why do you think? It just is. Okay. Like, remember, um, I don't want to get into Wittgenstein right now, but he has a (laughs) book called Uncertainty. And he says, when you hold out your hand, you're never going to look at it and say, is this my hand? You just know it is. It's just axiomatic. I feel the same way about Kamala Harris as I feel about the hand situation. Is this the vice president? Yeah, it's Kamala Harris. Mm -mm. John, in an argument against it being Kamala is that you said they're perhaps looking for someone who is not going to run for president. So it'll be Biden for one term, and then the VP will be someone who doesn't actually run next time. And we just had this as a little placeholder. Yeah, whoever the VP that's chosen is generally the heir apparent, whether that's eight years or four years later. But in this case, it's pretty likely that Harris would be the heir apparent in 2024. So I think a lot of progressives are are not happy that it wouldn't be another open primary. I mean, there would be a primary, but she would have a big leg up. So they're looking at, well, what if we had someone like Karen Bass, who has said she's not looking to become president? She's a little bit older. That's why there's talk about Harris not being. And also, is she? would she be a good partner to Biden if she's worried about running in 2024 and she doesn't want to take any particular controversial stances on anything? I worry if that was the strategy where they were going to choose someone who they didn't think was going to run the next time, that then we would not have a woman president for a a lot longer because they would say, we already got it out of the way. We gave you a VP. We don't need, you want a president too? I thought the whole point of having a woman vice president was, this is how we get a woman as president. So in that sense, you know, you probably would want Harris or Warren if if she is truly still in it. I... (laughs) I, the VP, I don't know. Why Why are you so uninterested? I was I was honestly wondering, like, do I not care about this because they're all women and I'm just like, <laughs> my misogyny is so deep, I have no interest in it. I don't think it's that. I just think this is going to sound really dumb. This is kind of how I feel about watching documentaries. It's like, guys, I'm going to vote for Biden. I don't care who the vice president is. I have nothing invested in this. Just pick whoever. I'm going to vote for you. I don't care. But isn't it fun to know that there's like good candidates out there that we just have like I like knowing that Karen Bass is there (laughs) I didn't know who she was I watched her in an interview and I was like this was a delight and it's fun at least to have a bunch of women that we're talking about their traits and qualities and pros and cons instead of a bunch of men well right you know it's like a lot of other institutions it's rare that you're talking about a group of people's qualities and they're all happen to be women yes unless you're talking about the WNBA or right. in vogue or something. Yes. <laughs> but when it's all just women and you're like, well, this so-and-so is has a bad record when it comes to criminal justice. And so-and-so has a good... You know, I, I understand that. Maybe it's misogyny. And we only are able to do that because it's none of it's real. Like there's only going to be one. Oh, right. We do not live in a gynocracy, is what you're saying. Yeah. So you are having fun with the VP market, but John, Long John Silver, is not having fun with the VP market. And that's because why? John has too much invested in it. The stakes are too high now, John. Yeah, I, I haven't managed I haven't managed my bankroll that well. And it's so most of it is tied up in these in, in the VP market and I can't get in any any other market. John, how much do you have invested in the VP market? Uh, I've got about two thousand dollars in there right now. And how much do you think you're gonna win? It's it's getting smaller and smaller. For a while it was like, okay, I'm gonna win five hundred if it's Harris, but I've spread my self pretty thin. So I've hedged on these others. And now I'm down to about 280 if Harris wins, which is not a great return for tying up $2,000. <laughs> I 
Um, and for the I loss mean, of sleep. I, yeah. And I've, t- I've been profit taking during this time. So my return is probably better than that. But when I just look at the sheet about what the payout's going to be, I'm thinking this is not like the, the VP market in 2016 when I cleaned up and got 1300 on pence. It just it's harder because we just know it's going to be a woman. There aren't that many women. We think it's probably going to be a woman of color. You can't really make a lot of money on negative risk because of all those men you can't even buy shares in anymore. Women messing it up once again. So how much could you lose? I mean, I guess I could lose like $1,800 or so if he picks Michelle Obama. <laughs> oh, if he picks Michelle Obama, I'll, I will lose... Oh, he he must not pick Michelle Obama. If he picks Gretchen Whitmer, I'll lose seventeen hundred bucks. If he picks Warren, I'm gonna lose big. But as as long as it's Harris, Rice, Bass, or Demings or Duckworth, I'll make a little money. So we're at the same place. You're basically at the same place I am. We've narrowed it down. Yeah. I'm just sleeping better. John, I just thought of a song that kind of sums up sometimes how I think about your relationship to predict it. Fed through the tube that sticks in me. That's predicted. Just like a wartime novelty. That's you. Tied to machines that make me be. Cut this life off from me. Again, Metallica. Do you ever feel that way about Predict It when you're lying in bed? Yeah. Good lyrics are universal and can be applied to almost anything. A man's relationship to an online political betting forum. All summed up in a classic banger. I wonder if I should listen to that while I'm trading. Just get in the zone and just be like, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Have you ever seen the documentary, Some Kind of Monster? Do you know why, how it exists? Yeah, I did know it's the director was going to. It's because the director first made Paradise Lost about the West Memphis Three, about three teenagers who were accused of killing this little kid, wrongfully accused. The head guy, Damien, was a Metallica fan. Right. And so when he was making the movie, the director asked Metallica if they would do the soundtrack because Damien was such a fan. And then he learned about the therapist. It all stemmed from this teenage kid's love of Metallica. I mean, I used to be a teenage kid. I never loved Metallica as much as some of my other friends, but I did love Injustice for All. I think it sounds cool with no bass. I mean, I know that bassists will come at me with all kind of vitriol, but I just think it sounds really experimental and futuristic. Like there's just no bass on the record. And it kind of makes me think maybe we don't need all this bass all the time. You know, like, John, what was that look? What do you care about bass? I'm trying to make an argument for canceling bass. Do you like bass? What if Mike Watt is listening right now? It's fu- he's he's not listening. Plus, he plays bass like a lead guitar. That doesn't count. He gets a pass. Okay. What musician do you think is listening? What bassists are listening to this podcast? Yeah. Flea. Flea is listening right now and is pissed. Uh, Kim Gordon is listening right now and is pissed. Bootsy Collins is listening right now and is pissed. <laughs> is any bassist listening who agrees? The bassist for the White Stripes. They were like, yeah, that made sense. That's why I self-canceled. Okay. Enough bass talk for... Pete's sake. For a guy who'd think that we don't need to have bass, you sure talk about bass a lot. I know, it's true. Like everything else, the more I profess my hatred of it, the more I reveal my slinking, shameful desire for it. That's exactly how I treated the Smiths in high school. And I used to hate the Smiths and I would talk about how horrible the Smiths were. And then somebody slipped me a Smiths tape and 20 minutes later I was like, this is the greatest man in the world. I love the Smiths. Are we done talking about all these women running for vice president? (laughs) It just seems off to me. It just feels, it just doesn't sit right with me. I have to say, I'm just, I'm feeling uninspired by the predicted markets these days. 
And we have some listeners who feel the same way. This question came to us from Paul. He says, do you have any inside information on whether or not Predict It will bring back the word markets? There was nothing I enjoyed more than watching the debates waiting for Trump to utter the phrase crooked Hillary or deep state, knowing that an unreasonable amount of my own money was on the line. Listeners to the 2016 season of Election Profit Makers will remember that we used to watch the debates because Predict It had mar- <laughs> you could bet on whether Trump would say crooked Hillary in the debate. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was amazing. John, do you think there will be word markets this time around? I really hope so. I mean, it was so much fun. I think traders right now are pretty down on predicted, and they're thinking that they're probably not going to have things like that. I think there were other things you could bet on regarding the the markets. You could bet on how long a particular candidate might speak. Oh, is my it possible God. that we I might see something right. like that? That's a little. That less silly? Mm, I would still put that on the silly (laughs) boat. I think that's still pretty silly. Oh, I forgot to mention, Paul's side question was, will there even be debates? Now, this is something that intrigues Mm. me. Paul has a prediction. He says, there will be debates, but Trump won't show up. So if there are word markets, you should bet no on all word markets because no words will be spoken during these debates because... Trump won't be at the debates. What do you guys think about that? I like that. Do you think he really wouldn't show up? Yeah. He'll be like, I'm too focused on COVID. I can't show up for this debate because I'm I'm fighting this China virus. John, do you think it's possible that Trump could just not show up for debates? I, I think it's extremely unlikely given his position right now. Being down 10 points in the polls, you would want a debate at this point. He should be like Susan Collins. Susan Collins demanded like 14 debates with Sarah Gideon because, you know, Sarah Gideon is polling surprisingly well against Republican Susan Collins in Maine. And Susan Collins came out and said, "Um, I'm going to need to debate you 14 times. Sarah Gideon is like, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to do that. Democratic candidates right now are just sort of dancing around and not engaging at all. And Republicans are out there saying, come on, we want a box. We need to do this. We need a knockout punch. We want to try to get back in the game. In, in that sense, you know, coronavirus is, is helping Democrats. In what sense? What's the connection to coronavirus? In the sense that the candidates aren't having a lot of one-on-one activity and, and a lot of interaction with voters where there could be uh, a gaffe or something like that. There's just not a lot going on that could upend a race, and you want to upend a race if you are down in the polls, which most of these senators are. You know, I want to say something that's related to that, John. There's nothing more important in a presidential campaign or a election season than just gaffes, gaffes, and more gaffes. Gaffes galore. <laughs> we, we love to analyze gaffes, and we love to memify gaffes. What about your gaffes? I think you just touched on something. Which is that because of coronavirus and and limited in-person availability and stuff, this is going to be a light season for gaffes. And so we have to give a shout out to Yoho, who managed to pull off the gaff of gaffes in the actual Capitol building when he called AOC a fucking bitch. I mean, he was basically operating in a gaff-free environment, and he still dropped a world-class... 50 pound sweaty gaff. I mean, that's amazing. We have to give respect to Yoho. But I think overall, 
for those of you who are who like me are are just fiending for gaffes at all hours of the day, you're just gaff maniacs. I just want to tell our listeners prepare yourself for the absence of gaffes or Twitter only gaffes. Like Marco Rubio still had a gaffe. He oh, certainly had a gaffe. When he put Elijah Cummings up instead of John Lewis and was like, I'm going to miss my best friend, John Lewis, Who's who this is. Yeah. Twitter gaffes somehow don't have the same resonance, I think, to regular. They don't have the a heartbeat. Right. Election profit makers. Friends, we've had some gaffes in our time, as do just about any podcast. We'll, we'll have some gaffes. But John really dropped a stinky gaffe. And a listener wrote in to call him out. John, are you ready to come face to face with your own gaffe? Sure. And John, this letter is from someone who lives in London, the capital of Europe. This is a real question from Oliver. It's not even a question. Ooh, now I'm reading this. I'm getting so excited. Here we go, John. Oliver from London writes, I was disappointed to hear John incorrectly state that the Great Pyramid was the world's tallest building until the Washington Monument. In fact, the Great Pyramid was the world's tallest building until 1311, when the spire of the Lincoln Cathedral was topped out in England. The spire was supposedly 160 meters, 520 feet tall, though this is debated by some historians. A further six European cathedrals would at some point take the title before the Washington Monument became the world's tallest in 1884. Interestingly, the Lincoln Cathedral spire collapsed in 1549 and was never rebuilt. If the spire had remained standing, the cathedral would have remained the world's tallest structure until the completion of the Eiffel Tower in 1889. Consequently, the Washington Monument would never have become the world's tallest building. John, this is like AOC's speech the other day in response to Yoho's gaffe. Oliver's <laughs> Oliver's career was just made on the ashes of your bones. How in the world can you justify, John, your opinion that the pyramids were the tallest buildings in the world until the construction of the Washington Monument? You forgot about all these cathedrals littering up the countryside in England. First of all, that topic last week just came out of the blue. So I was riffing a bit. I didn't have any Wikipedia, and I will freely admit that I did not include these cathedrals. And I think in my mind, I was just thinking, because a lot of these cathedrals don't exist anymore, and the Lincoln Cathedral's height of 520 feet, someplace it's listed at 524 feet, is disputed because it fell down over 500 years ago. But I will concede the point that there were taller buildings, even though they're essentially just spires. But yes, he, he is correct. I was just wanting to make the point that the Great Pyramid was one, you know, the tallest building in the world for thousands of years, which it was. It, was, it actually was the tallest building for 3,871 years. Is that true? Really? Yeah, until the Lincoln Cathedral. 3,800 years. So, I mean, they crushed it. I couldn't have put it better myself. They crushed it when they built those pyramids. Isn't a spire a classic way to make a building the tallest Yeah, building? I mean, that's what they did with the Freedom Tower. They plopped a spire on top, so it would be 1,776. And that's, and that's the Chrysler building too, right? Putting the needle through the roof in the middle of the night. Yep. But the Council on Urban Habitat and Tall Buildings based out of Chicago, yeah. which is, you know, your standards for skyscrapers, there was a lot of controversy about what part of buildings to 
count as far as the height. For a long time, they would say that spires didn't count. And finally, they came down and said that if it is architecturally a part of the building, then the spires do count as part of the official height. Antennas, which are added, do not count as part of the height. John, I want to say that your response to Oliver's call out was exemplary. You admitted fault. Well, I'm not, I'm actually not. Oh, (laughs) Oliver. (laughs) Woo, you better head to the fallout shelter, son. (laughs) Because Long John Silver is not done responding to you. You're out here trying to cancel Long John Silver. Long John Silver, activate. Go ahead, Long John. Oliver, it was a a great, well-researched letter, and you were doing fine until the end. You (laughs) you screwed up on the dismount. Oh, my God. In the last sentence, he says, interestingly, the Lincoln Cathedral spire, which collapsed, was never rebuilt. If it had remained standing, the cathedral would have remained the world's tallest until the completion of the Eiffel Tower in 1889. Consequently, the Washington Monument would never have become the world's tallest building. But that's not true because the Washington Monument was completed in 1884, and it was 555 feet. So it would have been the tallest building. I think I can think of a song that sums up how Oliver in London is feeling right now, and it goes like this. Darkness imprisoning me, all that I see, absolute horror. (laughs) I cannot live. I cannot die. Trapped in myself, body my holding cell. Long John has taken my sight, taken my speech, taken my hearing, taken my arms, taken my legs, taken my soul, left me with life in hell. Goodbye, Oliver. Woo! But we thank Oliver for writing in. We thank him for his enthusiasm and understanding about these buildings. Yeah, he was absolutely right to write in and correct me. And if Oliver feels like countering the counter, he's welcome to that. I don't know if we need to hear again from Oliver. (laughs) Oliver also, after he thought he was done canceling you, he said, P.S., could you please pull your strings at Predict It to see if they would allow foreign nationals like me to invest on Predict It? You try to cancel somebody and then you're like, oh, and by the way, could you see if you could get your restaurant to serve food? Come on, Oliver. You are our friend or you are our enemy. We don't do both over here at Election Profit Makers. I want to talk about one quick thing that's building related. Donald Trump, not only did he decide not to throw out the first pitch at that Yankees game because he was going to be too busy solving the coronavirus, he also decided to cancel the Republican National Convention in Jacksonville, Florida, for the well-being of his beloved devotees. I can't believe this, John. They actually canceled the convention. Yeah, they had to do it. The virus decides, and there was no way to do it. No one was going to show up, so Trump had no choice. And it's not like a rally where it would have been seated entirely by his crazed sycophants. It would have been like professional people who know better. Do you think that Trump at this point, he doesn't get to have his rally, he doesn't get to have his convention. Do you think he is regretting ever becoming president. You know, Starley, I started thinking about that this week because we had talked about how he would never drop out before the convention because that was going to be the big party for him. Maybe he will drop out now because there are going to be no more rallies. He's had his last rally. God, that's so poignant. Are you sure about that? In the next 12 weeks or 14 weeks, 
not anything, not not a big rally, not more than, you know, a few hundred people. We have to brace for the tantrums that are now going to happen because a toddler needs his treats. Starley, I got to tell you, a big man needs his treats too. It's not just toddlers. We all need treats these days. I don't know what I would do if Trader Joe's discontinued Three Buck Chuck. I would be hurting. If I wasn't ordering these damn old beat up tape recorders and trying to fix them all night just to give my life meaning and purpose. Those are my treats and I can't live without my treats. So I understand that to Trump, a rally is just as stimulating and affirming as these beat up tape recorders that I'm trying to fix to no avail. There's a garage in my, in Silver Lake, David, by the way, that has an entire table full of old tape recorders. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Like, Stop the podcast first. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. What are you? It's what an abandoned f- garage. What? Yeah, and it's a whole table full of. I tape spend recorders. six hours a day looking for used tape recorders <laughs> online. I'm not exaggerating. David drives all over the country doing this. He sends me out looking for these things. This is the equivalent. This is Starly. <laughs> what you just did to me would be like if Jared came up to Donald Trump and was like, "Oh no, we have six arenas that are ready to go for your rallies." <laughs> Trump would be like jumping up and down. Hoo, hoo. <laughs> I want to say, pursuant to what John just said, for the first time ever. He thinks that Trump might actually just fucking quit because all the treats are gone. I'm not predicting that, but it's the first time that I thought, oh, yeah, I could see that as a possibility now. And which of the three of us have always had a position that Trump will resign during his first term? That's you, David. That's you, David. The answer, Kid Midas, the moneymaker. I still have my 50 shares that he is not going to bother finishing his term. And the price has ticked up. By one penny. (laughs) I have to say that I read Mary Trump's book over the weekend, her memoir about growing up in the (laughs) totally functional and loving Trump family. And the book, you know, you can read it in an afternoon. It's a quick read. There's nothing in it that's like really shocking. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, and then one day Trump gutted a classmate and wore his skin as an overcoat. There's no like shocking smoking gun that is new information. But what the book really does, it kind of gives you the context. The, The point of the book is like, listen, I know you guys have a lot of questions about my wacky uncle and why he is the way he is. Here's the deal. 60 years of family dysfunction and sociopathy and disease and and just like it's it's a lot. But reading it during the coronavirus which she touches on briefly obviously in a you know last minute addition to the text, it really helps you understand like I mean we all know this but it really grounds it this sense of oh this guy will do anything. He's capable of literally anything. There's nothing that he wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Today or yesterday, it came out that Trump, apparently now this pivot towards him taking the coronavirus seriously is because staffers showed him maps where it was hitting red states. And they said something like, you have to understand this is affecting like our people, like our side is now getting sick. So now you need to take it seriously. It's not just killing these blue state liberals. It's simultaneously comforting and unnerving. It's comforting because... In the words of one of the characters in The Invitation, which is one of the best movies ever made about the Trump administration that came out before the Trump administration, at the climax of that movie, one of the characters says to another character, like, you have to remember, they're just people. And first time I watched it, my eyes welled up. I thought it was the greatest line in the history of horror cinema. But we can talk about that later if we ever do an EPM movie club about Trump horror movies. So the comfort is, 
Oh, right. They're just people. Any authoritarian leader probably had a messed up childhood. So it kind of grounds them and you remember they're just mortal, dumb human beings just like the rest of us. It's not supernatural forces of evil. They're just people. Mm -hmm. But it's unnerving because it's like, man, I can't believe America. Like, we're not special. We're just people too. All these institutions, it's just people. It's nothing but people. No wonder it always gets so fucked up. (laughs) So reading the Mary Trump book, it really did help me realize like, oh yeah, if this gets too hard, Trump will totally just quit. He hates being challenged and he has no internal resources for dealing with challenge. If he's not having fun, he'll quit. Has he ever talked even for one hour to a therapist? Um, what do you think, Starly? No, but like all the years. Not obviously no. not now, but No. I think that family, I mean, you got to <laughs> <laughs> The thing about that family is <laughs> it's gaining and uh <laughs> it's healthy. It was a nice <laughs> healthy family. Trump's dad, Fred, he was nice and uh <laughs> he was a good role model. I don't know, man. Sometimes you read a political book Like, remember Richard C. Clarke's book, Against All Enemies, when that came out and he was the big truth teller about the Bush administration's negligence before 9-11? Right. I used to have so many of these fucking hardcover books written by all these 9-11 yahoos. You'd read that book and get so mad. I can't believe Cheney didn't read the briefing on blah, 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 blah. It makes your blood boil and you get all riled up. This book is not like that. This book is like, it just makes you feel not so nice because you're just reading about damaged people and you really just see how it just like... It seeps through everything. And so reading that book, it helped me realize two things. One is Trump is going to have no role in helping us get through this coronavirus. If something happens, it's not because of him. He has no empathy. Like, he doesn't care. Number two, I think he might just quit. The only reason I think he wouldn't quit is he's worried that if he quits, he'll get arrested in New York or something. Which, And we talked about this last week, but... I think it's important. Like there is nothing that he won't do to make sure he doesn't lose the election if he decides to go through with the election, because it would be total ego death or self-annihilation if he loses the election. It would be like if the three of us were fighting for our lives. Oh, and also we were sociopaths. And so there were no limits on what we would do to save ourselves. He must be so bummed by the threat of prison, though, because I do think if it wasn't for that, he would want to stop. Yeah. If he had done nothing wrong, if Donald Trump was exactly (laughs) the same, but never did anything wrong and just got bored and was like, yeah, I think I'm going to quit. I don't care. I'm going to go golf. Because there's nothing. He just this is this is a drag now for him. And you know what, Charlie? It's a drag for us, too. I mean, no one is loving this. No. That's what's amazing is that we've had to go through this dark time and he's not even loving it. <laughs> You'd be like, <laughs> Star, there's like, at least if I could see the president having a good time, I would feel a little better about the sacrifices <laughs> I've made. But he's not even having a good time. <laughs> and you know what? Jared's not having a good time and Ivanka's not having a good. It's just a bummer. I forgot about Jared. Don't you forget about Jared. That's how he gets you. He sneaks up behind you in the mirror when you close the medicine <laughs> chest. You close that medicine cabinet. Whoop. There's Jared looking at you. (laughs) John, do you remember earlier in the podcast when you committed homicide on a man from London named Oliver? Mm -hmm. He had a question about, can you pull strings to let me trade unpredicted, even though I'm not an American? We have a related question from someone named Tristan, who says, predicted is illegal in my country. I know, right? He adds, can I buy a predicted account that is already set up by someone else and just add funds. Now, John, this feels like something out of the Bourne identity movies. What do you say to Tristan? I'm sure that's against their terms and services, but I reached out to predict it earlier today and sort of asking a, a roundabout question. There are people in Europe who want to trade and they 
they can't trade. And I wanted to find out if I, being a U.S. citizen, could go to Europe and log into my account and trade, or would I be blocked from doing that? And they said, as long as the account was established already, set up while you were in the U.S., then I could go overseas and trade and do that. Are you planning on going to Europe soon? (laughs) No, but I was thinking about this question, and that might be a way to get around it. But it's probably it's probably not a good idea. You asked predicted on behalf of Tristan. This was like a stealth question that you asked, knowing that you were going to answer this question. I told you this was like the born identity. Yeah. John's probably got six different passports in a <laughs> drawer and he's probably got six different p- predicted logins and he's got a go bag <laughs> with all his predicted login information in case a bunch of ninjas bust through his plate glass window. He can just be out of there in a second. I mean, we get variations of this question all the time. Can I trade in Europe? Right. Why can't I trade? Right. Well, the answer is you can if you're an American and you've set up your account in the U.S. So Tristan should immigrate to America, gain American citizenship, open a predicted account in America, and then f- travel back to his country and then he can trade all day. I don't understand who Tristan is asking when he says, can I buy an account that's already set up? Whose account is he referring to? Oh, I see. Is he asking for John's account? Like, I don't, is, are there a bunch of predicted accounts on the black market that people? Oh. I guess theoretically, I could open up a new predicted account under some name. Tristan420. That would be a good name. Tristan420. And then I say, wire me the money for setting up the account for you. And then... He takes over the account. Let's do it. Tristan, write us again. Tristan. Know that Predicted listens to this. Listens to what? Listens to us? <laughs> yes. Tristan, write us again. Tell us what you have in mind. We will quote you a price. This is going to be like Better Call Saul. This is not going to be cheap, Tristan. And it's going to go as smoothly as it's on Better Call Saul. It's not going to backfire. It's going to be no chain reaction consequences. No, no backfires, no consequences. Election profit makers. Your home. For money making. You realize as soon as Predicted hears this, they're going to. What are they going to do? Shut down Predicted? They're going to lock us out of our accounts. They love us. Can they do that? Can you ban? Can you throw people out of the Predicted nightclub? Sure. If they're being rabble rousers? Sure. Tristan, don't write us. I take back everything I said. I never want to hear from you again. <laughs> Goodbye forever, Tristan. We wish you the best in your country. And we thank you for listening. And we appreciate your open-minded, disruptive solutions. But we cannot, in good conscience, endorse this subterfuge. We keep it all above board. This is a morning zoo. We're a morning zoo that plays by the rules, okay? That's what we are. We're a morning zoo that plays by the rules. We squared the circle. We squared the circle. John Kimball, what is your bet of the week? I'm going to continue to mess around in the VP no, market. John, get out of that market. Oh, come on, man. It's not the treat that David won. No, I mean, that's fine. I'm not telling him to get out of the market because I have no interest in that market. I'm just thinking about back in the womb, it's much too real in Pump's life that I must feel. But I can't look forward to reveal. Look to the time when I'll live. I just worry that John's feeding tube of the VP market is unhealthy. You would like me to go back to Kanye. <laughs> is that what you want? No. I mean, the the options, this is like choosing your collision when you're about to crash. It's like, am I going to hit this brick wall or am I going to hit this tree or am I going to go into a ditch? Jack Reacher makes these types of decisions all the time. <laughs> we should also remind everyone, though, that Biden's likely to announce his nomination next week. Okay, that's a fair point. We are approaching that time in the calendar when the announcement gets more and more likely. 
It's almost harvest time. That's what we should say. Tend to your gardens until they're harvested. David, this might be the last time you ever hear us talk about women. And you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. You know what? All right, guys, I'll jump in. You're right. In solidarity with this market and with my two co-hosts, I will re-engage with the 2020 Democratic vice presidential nomination market. I am going to learn who Karen Bass is. I will make a bet. I'm not going to reveal it yet because I have to do some research. But by this time next week, my pledge to you both and to our listeners is I will be invested in the vice presidential market and we will all go over the finish line together. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay, fine. I'll do it. Finally. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. Thank you for your questions. We are going to try to get to more questions in the future episodes. You can send us questions at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. You can also send us questions via Patreon, patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers, where you can support us financially, which we truly appreciate. And you can get exclusive content like Election Profit Makers Movie Club. Our next episode is about the films of Queen Latifah. We're going to record that later this week. If you want to bet with us on predicted.org, Go to predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20. Receive up to $20 in matching funds for your investments. I am Kid Midas, the original wave rider, trapped with my arms and legs cut off on this gurney, isolated, alone in the world, just like a wartime novelty, tied to machines that make me be, cut this life off from me, and also say goodbye to Starly. Goodbye, Starly. Is that a source code? Reference? It's kind of, well, you know, there is a relationship between Source Code and One by Metallica. I think Source Code borrowed very liberally from Johnny Got His Gun. We can talk about it in a future episode. Goodbye, Starly. Bye. Goodbye, John. Bye. John always ends the show on such a thunderous explosion of energy. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast has taken my life, taken my hearing, taken my arms, taken my legs, taken my soul. Melts me life in hell. All right, bye. Bye.